Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that normally explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are doing a special episode, which is going to look at the series The Dragon Prince. The first three seasons are out on Netflix, and if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Go do that now. And then listen to this episode, because it's great. It really is. Yeah, spoiler alert, we're, we're, we're pretty big fans of this show. <laughs> uh, and and so we're doing this special episode because this is not one of the normal five properties that we tend to cover, but we think not only is it a fun, geeky property, but it is Avatar adjacent. Exactly. And we put to our patrons five different options of a special episode that we would do, and this one got the most votes. So yeah. our patrons are smart. <laughs> yeah, thank you, patrons. <laughs> but yeah, so so this show, if you're unfamiliar with it, it first came out in 2018, I believe, and it's co-created by Aaron S. And he was one of the lead writers and co-executive producers of Avatar The Last Airbender. So, you know, we know we've got some, some good pedigree behind <laughs> this show. And you can tell. Absolutely. They're, they're very different shows in very different worlds, but there are some things that feel so familiar. Mm-hmm. And so for our discussion, I think we're just going to talk about the things that we love about the show. We'll talk a little bit about some of the things that we aren't as positive about about the show. You know, bring our, our critique side of it. But uh, I, I imagine that we'll, we'll mostly do the former because the show just really is it's delightful. <laughs> yes. So how about you, you start? What, what's something that you love about the show? I mean, everything. Not really. Not everything, but most things. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really great. And I think how they created this magical world is just really fun. The, mm. the magic side of things, some of the geopolitics that the magical side intersects with. It's just, it's very interesting and it's just such a fun place I think for the imagination to just like go you know mm. I love how they'll do these different things and and I think in some ways play into certain aspects so like there's elves which is would be more high fantasy type of ideas but they also just make fun of themselves and make fun out of everything so mm. their puns are amazing mm. something that i definitely remember being awesome was there's these like little creatures in zadia which is where the elves and all of these magical creatures come from and they're these like little colorful balls that like stick to your clothing and stick to everything <laughs> and they're called Adorabers is just excellent and yes. amazing. And why not? And then there were these <laughs> flowers that smelled bad and they called them flatulilies. It's just, why not? Yeah. Why not go there? And they go there. So much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally agree. The, the, the world of the Dragon Prince is fascinating. One of the things I love about it, which you kind of mentioned, was how, is how tied together the magic system is with the world building. I feel like in many series, th there's the world building of, you know, what this this world or this universe looks like, and then there's a magic system that exists within that world or universe. And the two aren't necessarily really thematically or, or narratively connected, but that's just not the case here. 
I think that for Avatar, they do this similarly, where the different bending styles all correspond to different cultures, and, and the kind of the interrelations between those cultures are really interesting. But here, I think they do even a better job, where we have the inherently magical systems in Zadia, the, the elves, the dragons, the creatures who have the one of these six arcanes, which gives them access to magical abilities or magical powers or whatever, and then humans who are born without any magical ability. And so humans develop this idea of dark magic, where they essentially take the magic from magical beings that are born connected to one of these arcanes, and through the killing, the murder of a magical creature, they utilize that magic. And that is the core of the, the conflict between the magical creatures and the humans, is mm-hmm. it's all based off of who has access to magic and these resources and who doesn't and, and what that means for their relationships and what the humans try to do to respond to this and what the, the others do to respond to the humans. And, and all of that, I think, it's so well tied together where it's not just this is this interesting geopolitical landscape that also has magic. It's there's this interesting magical system that has resulted in this interesting geopolitical landscape mm-hmm. yeah and and they do tie in different cultures as well because it's not just like mm. oh there's the elves but there are different types of elves and those yeah. different types of elves look different but they also even have different accents um mm-hmm. so it's very clear that they're their own communities Rayla has a Scottish accent and like the moon shadow elves also have that accent and then there's the skywing elves which I think if I'm remembering correctly have more like a British accent and the the sunfire elves have a French accent so it's like they have more differentiation within the elf communities even than Avatar Last Airbender the only person I actually mm-hmm. remember having an accent was Uncle Iroh Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's just it's interesting different things that they're they're doing with this. I guess you could say the swamp bedders have accents. That's true. The <laughs> southern swamp bedders. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I did notice in the in my most recent rewatch that within the the at least the initial crew that Rail is a part of of the Moonshadow Elves, that at least the the skin color of the different elves was pretty different it Mm. wasn't just all elves are a color that we consider white in in our society but they were they had diversity within their community which i think is great because that parallels the diversity that exists within the human community which is another thing that of course this show does so well Mm -hmm. yeah and another like just fun little thing that i do need to mention before we move on Mm -hmm. to talking about other probably more real or serious things is (laughs) that in the the last season that they have out so far, season three, there were two Sailor Moon-esque transformation sequences yes. that happened. And it's just one of my favorite things in the show. And that's a show that's full of good things, so. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I saw the, like, magical girl transformation, I busted up laughing so hard. I think we were laughing so hard we actually had to rewind because we couldn't hear what they were saying after it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, It was just, it's so, so good. Because that's not, that's not the style of the show generally, but you can Mm -hmm. see that it's done in a loving and and humorful way and it's just, it's so good. Someone's clearly a fan. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And you, you covered most of this, but I will just say, yeah, the humor in this show is 
totally my style of humor. I love it. It's it's a lot of wordplay, bad jokes, uh, <laughs> explaining bad jokes and, and why they're bad. Uh, like all of that, co- people calling themselves out and calling their jokes out, like all of that is so my jam. And I just... Callum so trying to be funny it. and then Rayla actually being funny when she's making fun of humans. Oh, I mean, human Rayla is... I had that as my own, like, it's its own dot in my <laughs> prose list because Human Rayla is just the best thing. The best thing ever. Ever, yeah. That might be my favorite thing in the show, honestly. It's so good. <laughs> oh no, I'm a human. I care about money and a short lifespan or whatever it is. It's just <laughs> excellent. Let's talk about roads and ways that get to places slightly faster. <laughs> yeah, just... Oh, so good. Yeah, so good. But but I, I think that it is important that we address the diversity of this show and, sure. and how it uses diversity. Because I think that's also one of the things that it does better than almost any other show, in particular cartoon, out there. Because the diversity that's included here is intersectional and it is so it's done so naturally it's not forced in it's not siloed diversity it's this diversity that feels like it's just these are people who live in this world and this is a complex world with many different people of many different races gender sexualities abilities like all these other kinds of things and it's just it's really really inspiring to see definitely it just effortlessly and unapologetically just does it mm-hmm. and it it doesn't feel forced yeah exactly and there's there's a lot of different examples there uh, i mean just just ezrin and his dad harrow are, are really great examples of mm-hmm. you know black kings with natural hair and it's not whitewashed it's not yeah it's not forced again it's just this is who they are and Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that Ezrin, as a, a black boy, can be brother to a white boy in Callum. And that's just how families are. And yeah, it's it's just great. Yeah, and I love that it's like, they're half-brothers, but they're just brothers, you know? Yeah. It doesn't have to be like, oh, he's my half-brother, you know? It's just like, no, they're brothers and they act like brothers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I love that. In, in a time where people who are racist will, you know, talk about dreads not being, quote, professional or whatever. Mm. Just have this kids show showing a king have dreads and have a really awesome crown on his head. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it just makes me happy because he's a king and this is how he looks and he looks awesome and he's powerful and a lot of people respect him and that's what he is yeah absolutely it's really cool and i I also like when you get to like the background characters like you look at them in catalis and they're very diverse Mm -hmm. it's you see people you know of all different races and shapes and sizes you know and and they put the effort into that too making just these random civilians in the city be as diverse as if you're walking around LA or something. Mm-hmm. That's great and important too. And I also love when they make intentional choices as well. I was thinking a bit about the translator named Kazi, mm. who is one of the, the Sunfire elves. And that character is just awesome in general. <laughs> I love them because they're 
so charming and endearing and brainy and it's awesome. I I really really hope that we get to see more of them uh, in upcoming seasons because they're so great and interesting and and I think that it's cool that they don't really make like their gender isn't clear in any way and mm-hmm. and I don't think that there's any pronouns used in regard to them and so yeah I love that it doesn't have to be made clear they're just an awesome person and who they are and we don't need to necessarily know anything about it Mm. and I also love that that character is a part of the Sunfire Elves who are all black elves but also Mm. they have a, a French accent and and I think that it's also interesting and and cool because you know we we talk about awful european imperialism a lot because it's it's awful and it affects a lot of things so there are groups of black people living in both africa and europe that speak french and so i think it's really cool that we get to see that here because it's so i think it's so rarely represented in american media at least maybe it is more mm. in european and i just don't know but at least in american media the only people who have french accents would be white people yeah yeah i think an- another element that really speaks to me about the intentional diversity which i think is the perfect way of putting it is uh, amaya's character oh where... yes i mean that's the best example i think personally yeah It's my favorite, Uh, at least. (laughs) Amaya is their aunt, but she's also the most high-ranking general and warrior in the Catullus' military. And she is, one, a woman, which speaks to the gender neutrality of the military structure that we see, which is also admirable and never commented Mm. on. Just, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. But she is also deaf. We see her from i think like the the fourth episode or something her relationship with the 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 boys is so loving and it's just naturally utilizing sign language i love for one just the fact that she is there and that she's a main character who Mm -hmm. is you know very regularly a part of this story but also that we see the people in her life who communicate with her in ways that are compassionate with her, where they make sure to look at her. They they themselves use sign language at times. And uh, I just, I think that that's such a great way of, again, bringing in different kinds of ability and showing that a high-ranking military captain can be a deaf woman who works in totally competent ways in the society she's a part of. Yeah, and not only is she just, badass but also you see that she has humor as well Mm. that comes out but especially because one of her officers or i don't know military structure but (laughs) one (laughs) of them he often serves as translator and 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 then you have the kids who whereas it it doesn't show like oh just everyone knows sign language because that's not how it is should they Mm. yes but people don't but these two kids grew up learning how to do this because they wanted to be able to communicate with their aunt yeah and i think one of my favorite things about it is that there are times that her character will sign and there is no translation given yeah because 
it's not for you unless you speak sign language, American sign language, you know, like it's, mm. you know, like they don't have to make accommodations for you just because you didn't choose to learn. Yeah, I, I love that, that there are some moments where it's for the characters that use sign language. And, you know, if there's any deaf kids watching, they would understand more than I would watching. And mm-hmm. I haven't seen that before in, in a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. And you, you also hit on her humor, which I think is another important aspect, is that, you know, this is this is important because it's so rarely seen, this kind of diversity in ability and things like that. But it's also important that when we do have a character who is deaf, she is not entirely defined by being deaf. It's just part of the way she interacts with the world. But mm-hmm. her personality is so integral to her character as well. You mentioned she she's a great warrior, and she's a warrior who fights with a shield, which I think is really, really cool also. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, its own kind of unique choice that she she chooses to do as a commander of an army, which I think is is really telling. She's funny. She has a great relationship with her nephews, she has a great relationship mm-hmm. with with her her assistant Gren, who is also one of my favorite characters. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah <he's> great. <laughs> it it she is a full character who is deaf, and mm-hmm. that's just it's unfortunately a rare thing to see, and they do it I think really well. Well, and I don't know. It'll be interesting to see too if if she's queer. She she gives that vibe off to me, but mm. I don't know if, if we'll see that come out later as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly see that as well in her, her relationship with that she that she develops with one of the Sunfire elves. Uh, I forget her name. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I would be very surprised if they didn't go that direction. Yeah. Which would be, you know, a whole other avenue to explore if this other Sunfire elf wants to be in a relationship with her mm. for learning sign language and, and whatnot. I mean, obviously, if you want to be friends with her, too. But that right. would be really good and interesting aspect to add layers to the characters. Agreed, yeah. So uh, what else do you have that you've jotted down that you love about the show? So much. But <laughs> I think I think the, the last really important thing that I, I, I really want to touch on is the way that the show incorporates the stories of villains and antagonists and people who do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And that all of those are complex and not complex in ways that justify doing the wrong thing, but ways that I think speak to the complexity of the person's experience. We see, for example, these these different basically paradigms of looking at the world between the human many of the humans and the dragons and elves and others, where humans see themselves as operating at a, at a kind of a deficit, at disadvantage, because they don't have this natural access to magic. And so dark magic gives them an ability to progress and to be successful and equal, even in a way with natural magical users that they wouldn't otherwise have. Mm -hmm. But we also see how use of dark magic, even when it's done by characters who are at worst often can be relatable, like Claudia, who is constantly using dark magic, but I think is really seen as a character who you're supposed to identify with or or to like, at least to a certain extent. 
but you never see it as it's okay that they're doing this. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think the lesson that just because you are disadvantaged doesn't mean it's okay to oppress others is a powerful one, an important one, because mm-hmm. it, ex- it explores that where, yeah, humans are at a disadvantage in this world, but that doesn't mean it's okay for them to build their society off of the persecution of others and the commodification of others. Well, and that's the thing. It's not just the persecution, it's the killing of mm-hmm others because they they kill them to take that power yeah exactly and and i just think that that's uh that's a really great great story it's even shown in kind of other ways that i think villains and, and antagonist characters are shown where viren who seems to be the main antagonist you know in cahoots with Erevos. Yeah, until other, he gets clearly. his body, then we'll see who's yeah. the main villain. <laughs> <laughs> they're using each other in very much, but they're, they're clearly both villains. But Viren, I think, is an interesting character. I very, very rarely agree with him, but I think that <laughs> I can understand why he, he thinks the way he thinks and the, why he does the things that he does. But I do think that it's obviously in a really oppressive, awful way. But we also yeah. see Soren for the first two seasons is basically hunting after the main characters and with the, the possibility of killing them and yeah. then we see how Viren gaslights him and mm-hmm. makes him think that he may be misinterpreted when that's not the case and him dealing with his own ideas of what's acceptable and what isn't and what he should and shouldn't do and what's the right thing to do I think is really compelling particularly when we see that kind of gaslighting occurring and how the other character who knows him better than anyone else, Claudia, sees it and goes along with it. And it's just, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that that is really heartbreaking, even for a character who I don't even love Soren that much. I think that he's a funny character, but <laughs> like he never like stole my heart the way a lot of the other characters did. But I still really feel for him in that moment and, and, and for his journey because of that. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that is a really good point. And that was, yeah, just a powerful moment. You know, he was already leaning towards abandoning and going to help the quote-unquote enemy, but that that definitely helped push that along. And then the choice to do that so that you can keep the relationship with your more powerful child um, Mm. is the choices that true heroes make. (laughs) But yeah, I just, I think that it's rare for a show that spends this long with antagonists and villains to keep my attention and my care for those characters as well as this show does Mm. yeah another thing that i love about the show is ezrin he's such like a gentle child that can speak to animals and when he is king for a bit of time refuses to go to war and refuses Mm. to have people die because of wanting to avenge attacks on you know an attack that he thinks killed his father yet he's he understands better than the adults that (laughs) everyone in zadia didn't make those decisions everyone doesn't have all of the information and even if they did and they made those decisions does not mean that i want to instigate war and violence and Mm -hmm. he really does take a pacifist stance to the point where he abdicates because 
it's the only option since he's refused to go to war for these other armies not to attack him and they'll call off the attack if I abdicate so I'll do it and and you see this child making such mature and wise decisions and such compassionate yeah. decisions that yeah I, I really like that and choosing as he steps down to ensure that every soldier has the opportunity to choose themselves whether they want to go to war or not which, you know, yeah. when you look at feudal society, was not a choice that soldiers had. And, <laughs> you know, was true even up to the draft here in the United States not too long ago and other countries up to this point. And, mm -hmm. yeah, Ezrin is the hashtag best boy of this series. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and I do think that just the show has a kind of pacifist kind of message behind it. Uh, when I was rewatching the first episode, I realized that arguably to the two main characters, Rayla and Callum, both fail at violence in the first episode. That's how they're defined in that first episode. He mm -hmm. fails in his sword fighting against Sorin, and she fails to kill a guard that she goes after. And I think that having us being yeah. introduced to these characters who are bad at violence is just so great. Such a great way to set the stage for this show. Yeah. Yeah, and the one time that Callum uses the dark magic mm. from another creature, it's it's to save this dragon that's going to be killed. And and it's still and it takes a whole episode of him just having to deal with the repercussions of what that means for himself internally. Mm. Yeah. And it it affects him later in in the third season when one of the dragons guarding the way into Zadia won't allow him to enter because he smells death on him. He can tell mm. that he used that magic. Yeah, I, I love that they showed that there's repercussions for it, even though it was killing a moth to save a sentient dragon. It still was killing and and taking that that power from from this beautiful creature to use it for your own designs. Absolutely, yeah. And I also love that in a monarchy, they have a system where, and I didn't remember this, but before we recorded this episode, because it's been a while uh, since we originally watched it, I, I just watched the whole last season, because why wouldn't I? And <laughs> it, when Ezrin chooses to abdicate, they have a system in place that then a new king would be chosen from orphans. Mm -hmm. And it's just, monarchies have never been done that way. Not that monarchies are good anyway, but like, <laughs> if you're going to have a monarchy, it's not, oh, who's the cousin of, or, you know, however, this very bloodline way of, of doing it. So yeah, I, I like that they at least had a, a little, a little modification and revamp to that system as well. Mm. Yeah, I noticed that too. Although, I mean, there still is the king, right? And the king has the most power, which is unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just that. Well, well, speaking of unfortunate things, maybe we should, we, we've talked for over half an hour about what we love about the show. What, what are some things that you think the show could do better on? Yeah, so we, we discussed how they do representation and diversity so well in so many ways, but I think there's always so much room for improvement. Mm. Um, so that's also where I think they have some of their shortcomings as well. So I have a, a few instances, but the, the first one I was thinking about is 
that I really wish that Claudia didn't heal Soren after he was paralyzed. Hmm. That doesn't really happen in real life. And I mean, I know this is a magical world, but how amazing would it be for kids who have some form of paralysis to see this fun, silly character on screen that they could relate to and that does these courageous, heroic acts. And, you know, I understand that it wouldn't really work for where they wanted Soren's character to go if he was paralyzed, but isn't that the problem? Why does he need to be able to physically fight or defend to be a hero? Mm. And why can't we have a hero who used to be able to run around and fight but is now in a wheelchair and doing also important heroic courageous acts so to me that's disappointing because they had this opportunity and I I know part of it is just because of where they wanted Claudia's character to go too and in a world where you could use this power even if it took a cost yeah, I mean, most people would, would do that. <laughs> mm. She was just like, eh, whatever, you know. Uh, that would that would be odd as well. But I just, I don't know. I, I wish that they had done it in some way or she had offered and he had said, no, mm. I, I don't want you to use this power on me. You know, not that he necessarily would or anybody in that circumstance would. I'm, I'm not sure. But like, I just wish that they had made it so that he didn't just get quote-unquote fixed yeah um again i mean and i've commented before in several of our normal episodes just that so often in all sorts of series they have characters who have a disability in some way but somehow it doesn't restrict their life at all yeah and that's not the reality where do we show that this person is a, a full human is a full person with layers and nuance and actions and everything but they still have their disability you know yeah like it's it's awesome and i love that amaya can be the general but there would be instances where that would put her at a disadvantage Mm -hmm. and and that's the reality and to glaze over that is not true representation that's a very good point what about you? Do you do you have one? I, I have more because usually I'm more critical <laughs> than you are in general. But <laughs> That'll likely be the case here. But I, I do have a couple things that, that I think this show could do better at. We talked a little bit about the repercussions of doing bad things. I think that the show does mm-hmm. a, a fairly good job at that. But the character King Harrow, I think, does not do well with that. Because Harrow, mm-hmm. we see, he dies out very shortly after showing his regrets for years living and w- ruling as someone who was at war with Zadia and doing awful things or allowing awful things to be done in his name. And we, we don't even really see the change that occurs to why he's now against dark magic or, or any of these other types of, of ideas. We really just see him now seeming like a just character fighting against Viren's evil plans and his rule was clearly much more nuanced than that and arguably Mm -hmm. could be said was just a war-torn one and i think that as we've talked about in in some of our previous episodes there is no redemption there it is he's martyred and 
dies seemingly mm-hmm. a hero because we mostly see the show through the perspective of his sons. And one of the things I do love is how Ezrin claims to, he, he chooses to be a different type of king than his father was. But it's always mm-hmm. through the perspective that Harrow may have made some mistakes, but he was a great king. And I don't know if that's the case. And so, yeah, I think that, that there could be a better framing of that than the show has. That's interesting, because uh, I think that it shows that some people consider him a great king, but that his actions are actually putting thousands or millions of lives in jeopardy, and like all of the conflict that's happening is because of what he decided to do, and that he regrets some of it, but he also took responsibility for what he did right because that's why he's like you know if the assassins are gonna come they're gonna come mm, that's true. I, I don't know it, it'll be interesting to see what they do with his character because you know they had more flashbacks and stuff during mm-hmm. the third season so if that will continue if he really is a bird now <laughs> and if he will be restored to his human form at some point in the show the creator and then said have... that he isn't a bird but i'm pretty sure he's a bird the creator said he wasn't a bird yeah. Because why did they make all of those, like... Those shots that make it seem he, okay, like he's a bird? Okay, he's a bird. Because, <laughs> like, there was no body, right? Uh, we saw a coffin being carried and burnt within a oh, day. okay. Okay, then yeah, if he's not a bird and he's not going to come back, then, yeah, I could see. Just because you regret something doesn't mean that now you're a good character, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's better than not regretting it, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and I think that you could probably say that for a lot of my my negatives on the show is I don't know where they're going to go with it. And maybe they'll they'll do something that changes or, or reframes the way things have happened so far. But where it is right now, I, I just, I'm a little disappointed. Mm, mm-hmm. But why, why don't you share another of your plethora of hatitudes against this amazing show (laughs) so another one that i wasn't very comfortable with was with prince kasef of neolandia Mm. so he he was the prince who probably became king because there were other assassins sent not elf assassins but other assassins sent and meant to look like they were elves doing it um, and killed his father. And he he's the one who threatens attacking Catullus when Ezrin won't join him to march on Zadia. And then he joins evil Viren and helps orchestrate him being able to be in, in the position of power. Mm-hmm. And is eventually turned into a, a weapon, a, like a, a beast weapon in this battle and, and, and dies in it. What what bothers me about it is that his name is Kasif, which kind of sounds a little bit like Kashif or Kashaf, which are, are, are Arabic names. Mm. And his father was Aling. And, and when I first heard it, I didn't hear the G, that it's Aling, but like it sounded like Ali to me. Mm. And so... I know they're represented by elephants... They're represented by elephants and they have dark hair, brown skin, and so that made me feel uncomfortable because we've seen 
Arabs be shown as villains in in so many different things, yeah. you know, going back a real long time ago and currently. So I was just, I was disappointed with that. I don't know why the Arab character couldn't have been the cool guy who like tracks down the princes mm-hmm. and like helps advise Ezran or, you know, why isn't the the wise, super young queen Anya the Arab character? You know, why is it the one who is a villain? Yeah. Or why aren't there just more Arab characters or taking inspiration from from those different cultures uh why aren't there more characters like that in general in the series so yeah that 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 was disappointing to me i think what i will say about it is at least he was shown to have some complexity at first he he seemed quite frustrating and combative but then he's like riding on a horse next to soren and he's like kind of funny and like seems like this average young guy who thinks Soren's being weird and ignorant like he is being, you know. Uh, so it showed that he, he wasn't one-dimensional doing the wrong thing, but he was still doing the wrong thing. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. But what about you? What, what else do you have for me? I think that one of the problems with the show is that it's pacing. Possibly it's, it's because I'm not used to a show that's only nine 30-minute episodes, but... Yeah. I just feel like the seasons are are so oddly paced, especially since they're also coming out once a year or less. Mm -hmm. And when I think back at the first three seasons, the the first season was just so much set up for what would come in the later seasons. And then the third season seemed to have so much happen in the latter half where it was just kind of all about this epic battle that was going to be going on and and you know i remember when we were watching it for the first time how ezrin who has now been separated from callum and rayla comes and joins up with them after one day of flying on on a phoenix it's just it it feels like if they had more space then maybe they Mm -hmm. would have a little bit more time to to make things just feel a little bit more natural then absolutely and i felt that way with with the love story between rayla and callum as well mm. Yeah, where while I do think the show does a great job of keeping up with the fantasy and the humor, even during some of the darker or harder episodes, I, I miss having a little bit more space to breathe that a a larger season might have brought it. Yeah, yeah. And like, give us more of the episodes. Yeah, I just want, want more them. is basically what it is. Just give me more. Yeah, give me. More, please. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, another one for me. So I mentioned the the really young queen, Anya, before, who's awesome and, and great. Yeah. Cool. So she had two moms, which she mentions in passing. And, and you see a little bit of them in, in some flashbacks. And, and, you know, that's great because Anya is this strong, independent, wise girl. Mm. But it still falls into the barrier gaze trope Mm -hmm. so it's like you can be gay but only for a really short amount of time because we don't want you to be on screen for very long (laughs) so yeah i think that could be problematic and and my hope is that it won't be because 
Well, first of all, you also have the case with the two Moonshadow Elves, yeah. Ruan and Ithari. If, if you don't remember, Ruan is the leader of the assassins that Rayla was a part of. And he was imprisoned and magically imprisoned in a coin, it seems, yeah. or something like that. And yeah, in season three, we find out that Rayla lived with Ruan and Ithari in, after her parents went to be a part of the, the Dragon Guard. And so there is the opportunity for him to come back mm. and, and not be quite barrier gaze. But obviously, if it's like in the last couple episodes, then it still is. Yeah. But I guess we'll have to kind of wait to see how it unfolds with Ruan and if he does come back. And then also if uh, General Amaya, if she is queer herself and, and if that becomes a, an element of of the story as well yeah for sure i did have one other one i don't know if they're planning on going into but uh where it stands right now i, I do wish there was a little bit more hinting or discussion as to why Ezrin and callum have magical powers unlike most humans mm. um Ezrin mm-hmm. can talk to animals callum is able to actually use magic and in connect to the arcanum even if he is not born with those connections and i don't know where it's going to go with that if there's something with their mother who she had some connection with it's magic or something, or something or if uh yeah. if they're going to go the way of every human actually has this and it was just cultural that they thought they didn't have access to it and they had to use dark magic I don't know what's going to happen, but where it is now, um, mm-hmm. I just, I feel a little like, you know, if again, if they had more room, maybe they could start exploring that a bit more. And I really hope it's not the the latter of just humans can do this. Just, they just didn't know. I think that that's kind of a, uh, I don't know, not great world building compared to the world they set up. Yeah. You'd think after millennia, some would have figured exactly. it out. Yeah. No, just these two boys. They're the only <laughs> ones who can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So that yeah. that's I think the last kind of thing that I'm I'm wary about moving forward, and and hopeful that something good will come out there. But we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my last kind of thing is that I guess even though there's actually kind of unheard of things in regard to representation, mm-hmm. they still need to do better. <laughs> and of the main characters, two of them are boys. Mm-hmm. And the villains are mostly men, you know? And also, when you think of the main characters, both good and bad, they're still almost all white. Yeah. Callum, Rayla, Viren, Soren, Claudia, and the characters of color are more peripheral. Mm-hmm. So my my hope is that that some of that will start to change as you get more time with some of the, you know, like the, sadly, the Sunfire Elf that we don't remember her name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right now. Like if if she goes along with them and, and she gets more of a role or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, if those characters could become more center rather than on the margins. Yeah. Even the, yeah. the, the eponymous dragon prince, Zim, is pretty pale. <laughs> the, the blue dragon prince. And, I mean, he is a male dragon. Yeah, yep, <laughs> so, there you go. Not so the dragon princess. The, yeah. Or the dragon gender neutral noble child. Yeah. The dragon. 
the dragon. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so th- they're doing a lot of good stuff and they're pushing different boundaries that haven't been pushed in, in cartoons that I've seen before. But yeah, they, they can they can still do better. Yeah. And I think that it's it's a good part of fandom to to ask for the things that you love to do better. Exactly. I mean, and, and that's what it is. They are they have now raised the bar for the standard of what is good. Mm. And now we're going to push for better. Exactly. And, and I, I'm glad that they raised that bar. And, and now let's let's keep going. Yeah, sounds good. Well, we have said quite a bit about the Dragon Prince. So I think <laughs> we're going to we're going to wrap up there. Can you let the listeners know what we'll be discussing next week? Yeah, so we're going to be returning to our normal rotation and we're going to be looking at Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be through the theme of gender. Wonderful. Gender and Star Wars. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. Follow us on social media or find our email in our episode description. If you look back at our social media, you might be able to find some of our great Dragon Prince cosplay from when we were at Comic-Con last year. Yeah. And Brittany was a very cute Rayla. Oh, thank you. You were a great Callum. Thanks. With your book bag, which took a real long time to make. Yeah. Yeah. You put most of that that outfit together as well, and, and both of them were really great. You can also join our patrons who helped bring you this episode by going to patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines, where you'll get access to all sorts of extra content, polls like the one that they were able to vote to get this episode made, and of course helping us remain sustainable and possibly even develop new content. We also want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.